0: Bose is the presenting partner of Beyond the Grid. That's because Bose QuietComfort 35 II goes beyond what you would expect from a pair of headphones. Just flip the switch to experience the industry-leading active noise reduction feature, and all distractions of the world around you fade away, allowing you to focus on what matters to you.
1: Hi, I'm Gerhard Berger, and you're listening to Beyond the Grid.
0: Hi there, it's TC here and welcome to another episode. This time I'm winding the clock back several decades because I'm chatting to a driver who lived through the hedonistic 80s and 90s. It was an era of outrageous cars, pioneering designs and huge amounts of fun. And he also survived which others didn't and most notably his friend Ayrton Senna and his compatriot Roland Ratzenberger. It's F1's fastest ever prankster, Gerhard Berger, the man famous for chucking Senna's briefcase out of a helicopter, and what a life he's led. He's won, he's crashed, he's beaten the best drivers in the world in the same equipment, and he's raced for Ferrari. I caught up with him in Monaco, and it's fair to say he's mellowed a bit since our paths first crossed in 1996, but he's still got that mischievous twinkle in his eye. Gerhard, you had a great Formula 1 career, 210 races over 14 seasons with 10 victories. But more than that, you seem to epitomize 80s Formula 1, for me at least. You were fast, you were daring, you were glamorous, you were fun, women loved you, even Bernie Ecclestone loved you. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I should have raised the money if it's like this. (laughs) If if you're telling the right things, then I sold myself too cheap. Only mistake. (laughs) But is that how you look back on it? No, you know what's funny that you asked me just now the question, because this morning I was sitting together with jean Alesi, with my old teammate, when we've been together in Ferrari and I said, Jean, you know, we both, we did not realise which nice life we had when we've been here, Ferrari driver. We come in the last moment, we left in the first moment, instead we celebrate before, celebrate after. I mean, to have a life in Formula 1, to be a Ferrari driver, to be loved by the people, to have the talent to do well, it's just something very, very special. And I think you need to to get a certain age to understand this. But obviously now I'm a lot of time in my bed and I say, well, I have to say thanks God to to be in this situation. It couldn't be a better life.
0: But Gerhard, how do you reflect on it all?
1: Well, first, I mean... I come out from a small village with 14,000 people up in the mountains. And when I was a young boy I, I and I liked to go, would like to go karting, my father didn't allow me, I didn't have the possibility. So I started racing with 21 year old. And everybody in my village said, the idiot, what is he going to do? And suddenly I was sitting in Modena and Ferrari and then, then in McLaren and then in uh, wherever. And suddenly things fall in my hand in a way that I just couldn't couldn't believe it. I thought I was so good. No, I was lucky, you know, it was, it was really, and, and, and I'm very thankful about it. And I'm very thankful that first I survived because a lot of my colleagues didn't survive. Secondly, I had some success. Thirdly, I made good money, so I still can spend a good life. But m- the most important thing is I did my lifelong what I love to do. I'm still around in the sport. And I still see the people who are always with me for many, many years. Uh,
0: Well, let's get one thing straight. It wasn't luck. You were a great driver, all those pole positions. But what were you doing until you were 21? What direction was your life going
1: in? you You know, I was a truck mechanic sitting in my in my workshop changing gearboxes and clutches of trucks and I say, yeah this cannot be your life you have to change something this look how dirty you are how heavy these things is find something easier and by the way the money what you're making is also not good enough so so uh, I mean I had a clear clear idea but um, it was meant from one extreme to the other
0: yeah. Was money the motivation a lot of the way through for you?
1: In my way, it was a question. I, mean, I would lie if it was a, wouldn't be a motivation because I know your next question is, would be, so if money wasn't your motivation, why did you go to Ferrari at this time? You know, you could have gone to, to, to Williams, you know, but Williams didn't want to pay me the money. Uh, but I, I, I tried, you know, I mean, I tried to take everything. I, I, I was maybe when I was with Ayrton or things like this or Lewis, or they focus on one thing Louis maybe is a bad example Louis maybe is also trying to do everything but uh, focus on, on one thing just the success just the moment just the physical training just get the result out of it me I try to get the result I try to, to not miss the party try to see if the, if 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 the people was nice looking in the party, I tried to have a nice holiday I tried to make some money so I tried to capture a lot of things and in some ways it worked out the only small thing I'm missing at the moment is the world championship
0: you say you enjoyed yourself all the trimmings that come with being a successful Formula 1 driver but have you ever wondered what might have been had you taken it a little bit more seriously was there more pace in you if you had difficult to say
1: yes I was well, I'm questioning myself sometimes but I remember when I came to McLaren uh, at the time I was together with Ayrton the star, I was coming from Ferrari winning the races, Ayrton was uh, just arriving in, in McLaren coming from Lotus and Ron Dennis says to me, you're a brilliant driver, you're a really big natural talent but you, you we have to shape you you're a diamond but we have to shape you you cannot use the curbs in the way you're doing you need to be clean, you need to be And obviously I was listening, a lot of experience there. But was it the right way to listening? I don't think so. I just should stay like I've been, you know, using the curves, sideways, whatever. Because that was my natural instinct, that was my nature. And that's the same when when you tell me, if you would be just focused, if you would not go to the party, would it really make me more successful?
0: I don't know. I doubt. Well, tell us a little bit more about Ayrton Senna. What was he doing differently in the car, then, that made him faster than you?
1: Well, I think it wasn't a question of speed. It was a question of the package. Obviously, Ayrton had a big, big advantage to me. He started when he was four years old with karting, and he, was, he had already 400 races uh, uh, behind him when he started in Formula 1, where I started racing when I was 21. Obviously, I was with 24 already in Formula 1, but in total, I think I had about 40 races from 0 to Formula 1. So you never can get this experience back. So from this side, Adam was an extremely experienced guy. In combination with a lot of natural talent, in combination with a really good brain, he was very switched on. He was a street fighter, a Brazilian street fighter, and then he had a big ability to concentration. I mean, he had an extremely strong concentration, uh, and that made him different to all the rest. I mean, I think you could cut off his hand and he still wouldn't feel it until
0: the race was over. And uh, that gave him an extra boost. Now, when you came into McLaren at the start of 1990 and you outqualified him in Phoenix at the opening race, that must have been a bit of a shock for him. But were you surprised that you'd put one over on him so soon? No, I was not surprised at all. Because, you know, at this, this moment,
1: all my teammates, in some way, I could beat out of just my natural talent because I never went to physical trainings so I never did anything and you know I just just talent but that was also my big handicap because it allowed me until this moment to handle it in the way I was handled so when I signed up for for McLan I have to say I was quite naive because I thought Erdogan just going to be the next one what going to be in troubles and uh, and I went to Brazil and I was and Adam was the king of the rain. First day was practice in the red, I was quickest. Second day was practice in the dry, I was quickest. So I said, well, not a big deal, you know? Unfortunately, I, I, I crashed because really the car was made for Alan Brost and I, I was stuck with my legs between the battle because I really had not space in the car. So it didn't worry me. Uh, and so the race was over, I felt good. I went to holiday like usual to have some fun. Airdon went back to Brazil. Thought about everything, come back, and then never beat him again. <laughs> but
0: do you think McLaren gave you a fair crack of the whip throughout those three seasons? Yes.
1: I, I have to say, I mean, we all know the up and downs of, uh, of Ron Dennis and the thing, but he always been extremely fair to me. The team was, you know, was a family for me. We had a fantastic time with Monsour, with, Monzu, with, uh, with uh, Ron, with uh, Ayrton, with the, with the mechanics and the managers at the time it was really a big family it was big fun with very competitive and, 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 and it was one of my best time in racing obviously I spent 6 years in my career with Ferrari and Ferrari has some special claimer and they've been also fantastic to me so we talk or I talk sometimes more about, uh, about Ferrari but I have to say McLaren was as good as Ferrari to me and uh, now we are sitting here in the McLaren motorhome and I have to say I, 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 I love the brand I love McLaren And when I see
0: the old guys, they've been all super to me. Well, it will come on to Ferrari in a minute, but just a couple more questions on Senna. Do you feel he was fair to you? Did he ever try and mislead you on setup? No,
1: I think he was. You know, he was playing the game, of course, as everybody do and as I did. As I said before, he was an extremely clever guy. I mean, the way how he played the games, it was not. not in a way that you see, you understand it straight away, the typical Brazilian way. But in the end, we we have been friends, no question. And uh, and I tell you, I, I think if I would be in the shit, he would help me, and if he would be in the shit, I would help him. We we had real honest relationship. Were you closer to him than any
0: other driver at that time?
1: Difficult to say because in the end of the day, Brost uh, gave him the hardest time. Alan was uh, was. Um, Obviously, with his experience and also his talent, I mean, Alan is 4 times world champion, and an, he's a very special driver. He challenged Erdogan to the maximum, as we remember. But when you look into qualifying times and, and, and things like this, I, I, I think I challenged Erdogan a lot. Yeah. And I remember well, Erdogan sometimes coming to me, I remember qualifying in, in, in Imola. I went out to ball, he went out to ball, I went out to ball, he went out to ball. And we were sitting for the last run, and he, he, he put his belts off, scored of the car, come over to my car, and I said, shit, it's getting a little bit dangerous slowly. And I had a laugh, and we just go, it, uh, go for it. So we pushed each other very much. But in the end of the day, the result of Ayrton was better than
0: my ones. He, he won the World Championship. Now, what about the joking with Senna? Because part of me wonders whether that was your way of dealing with sitting alongside the best driver in the world, all the practical jokes. Was that your way of dealing with the pressure or was that just Gerhard Berger? No, really,
1: that's just was myself, you know. It was just a time. I mean, sometimes now I even shake my head and say, well, <laughs> was it the right thing to do? But at the time it was, you know, and we had... You know, we had a tough sport. I had a very tough uh, competition in the team. We had also, at this time, still more dangers involved. We, 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 we've been in more risk. So it needs a compensation, and we, we had this with uh, with uh, doing some fun, doing some nice holidays, doing some jokes to each other. And was Senna a funny guy? Did he deal yeah, with your sense yeah. of humor? No, 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 no. he was a funny guy. He he, 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 I, he reached sometimes the limits with my jokes. I, I think some things went went a bit over the top on his view. But on, Give <laughs> us an example. No, I mean, we had we had every day something going on and uh, and he just couldn't sometimes believe it he just sit down but it doesn't matter I I don't like to go back to this too much because you know it puts our our racing then a little bit in the shadow because at the end of the day we had extremely tough racing qualifying thousand over thousand horsepower cars no servo steering brakes whatever all shifting one hand driving one hand shifting um it was a time where Formula One was maybe on his peak. And and we managed these cars and we, we raced wheel on wheel. And I think that's what i like more to remember than, than
0: the jokes. OK. I think we have to touch on Imola 94 when we're talking about Senna. Um, did he ever, prior to his death, talk to you about stopping? Uh, after In Imola, after
1: the accident of Roland of Ratzenberger we meet each other in the morning and uh, he said to me, that, uh, we need to get together because we need to, to improve safety in the sport and we fixed uh, after this race to do something and, and, and to see how, how, how we can approach it because we had the discussion already a, co- a couple of years before and that's really, really sad story when I had my accident basically in the same place than he had and I just survived by, by lucky circumstance. And when I was in the hospital, Erdogan called me. And, uh, and I said to Erdogan, I said, Erdogan, we have to do the, something with this wall. One day somebody going to die in this wall. And uh, we met in the test after a couple of weeks later in Imola. And we walked from the beach to the, to the place where I had my accident. And we looked how to remove this wall. And we see behind the wall is going a river. And we looked at each other and we said, nothing really we can do because uh, there's a river behind. And we walked back and we didn't do anything. And that was the place where Adam died. So it was in our hands already. And we didn't think at these days about putting a shikan and slow it down. For us it was just, can we move the wall? Can we increase the runoff area? And we, we did not react in the right way. And then there was another approach after Ratzensperger died but then we couldn't step in again because Erdogan was not the next day, but tight why did you carry on after Imola for me it was straightforward I went back and said listen is it already the right time for me to stop I mean we all know that this is the risk of our sport we all know that this can happen Um, but my career I'm already over the middle of my career is it maybe now the right time to say ok bye bye or, or 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 would I miss it too much and would I feel bad when I'm sitting at home and not racing anymore so after one day the answer was clear no I couldn't I just couldn't do it
0: just couldn't give up couldn't stop couldn't give up at this stage
1: Uh, yeah maybe it's the drug of racing or or I still felt that I, I have still still to be in the car
0: how did your attitude to danger change during your career? Because even, I think you're only a couple of races in, at the end of 84, you had that road car accident, didn't you? Was that a wake-up call for you? I mean, can you just tell us what happened? Because I think not very many people know what happened.
1: No, the the road car accident wasn't a wake-up call for me, but it was a terrible accident. I got a call to go testing, I think, touring car somewhere or whatever, in the evening. So I went to my, quick to my office just to pick up my... My suit and everything, and it was a road where no people go in the night. So I just drive back, maybe a little bit fast. But and the guy, what was drunk, came out from a side road and crashed into my car. And I flew through a breach. I flew out of the car because I had no seat belt on at this time, and I landed in a river. And I broke actually my neck, and I uh, had bad head injury. And I, and I was really very, was very really very close to die on this accident. I've been extremely lucky because, as I said before, no cars on this road in the night. But there was a car behind me on this day, and uh, they saved my life. And uh, when I was laying in the river, I couldn't move myself anymore because of the broken back. And these guys handled me in a very special way. And then they had infusions. I couldn't even say what why the infusions was already there. Then the ambulance arrived, and this guy told to the guy from the ambulance, if you're going to bring him up from the river in this way, he's going to die. So they had to bring an airbed and things like this. Until I understood after, there were two helicopter doctors from Germany on the motorway, hungry, and they said, let's go off from the motorway, let's find a restaurant. And that was where, <laughs> in some circumstances, the car behind me, And they had infusions in the car and everything in the car. And basically, they saved my life.
0: That's an incredible story. Were you conscious throughout?
1: Yeah, I was conscious. Uh, For a moment, I was unconscious. But then I was conscious and I could tell them what I have. And they immediately understood that uh, I have a back injury and that they cannot move me. Otherwise, the nerve was going to have a problem. So, again, I mean, this was maybe my biggest luck in my life.
0: And yet you were racing for Arrows the following season? No, at season? this time I didn't so, have no. an
1: Arrows no. contract. I was just negotiating with Jackie <laughs> And I was basically in the hospital and the newspaper said, well, he's dead or half dead and never going to be back and whatever. And Jackie gave up a bit about me. He was very sorry, but uh, even if he was thinking to put me in his car, at this stage he said, well, that's it. I take another, another driver. And uh, obviously, I I did everything to get out of the hospital to show Jackie that uh, maybe I'm going to have a chance to be fit. And he took the risk and he put me in the car and, and my career goes on.
0: Before we crack on with the interview, let me tell you a little bit more about the Bose QuietComfort 35 II wireless headphones. The QC352s are the product of nearly two decades of dedicated noise cancelling research by Bose. And what's really fantastic about them is that the inbuilt noise cancelling technology constantly changes and adapts to suit whatever environment you're in. You can adjust the level of noise reduction using the three different settings, which comes in very handy when I need to concentrate on a busy race day or when I'm travelling and I just need to kick back, zone out the background chatter and listen to some music. The fact that they're wireless gives me the freedom to go about my business without getting tangled up in a web of cables. And there's the added bonus that they're optimised for both Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, meaning they're hands free as well. So I can check the latest news or make sure I haven't forgotten anything on my to do list without lifting a finger. They're the ideal companion for a busy working day or just a lazy afternoon at home. And with up to 20 hours battery life, there's absolutely no excuse for you not to work your way through the Beyond the Grid back catalogue. is there. Now let's get back to that interview. Just, just to reiterate, you broke your neck and your back,
1: and yet I, you were I, I racing booked,
0: at the start of the following season. I, I broke
1: my first river, well, my second one, I had a head injury, I had a kidney injury, I, I had... A basically everything what you, yeah, what what going you would on. not like to have yeah. but, and the funny also I came to the hospital and they put me in and they, they always uh, try to see if I lose already the feeling in the legs and things like this because I would be paralyzed basically up until the nose and then they came and said well we have two possibilities we'll put you on plaster for the next six months or we make an operation what is a very critical operation because we have to open everything from the front on your throat all the nerves going to the face and whatever, and have to screw together your back. That would mean you would recover much quicker. I say okay. And there's another bad news. They say I say what is this? They say well, it's the first time we're gonna do this operation because we never. It's a very new version to do it, and 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 we never did it until now. And you so were I the say, pick. So I say to them, I say no risk, no fun. Let's go on. We said you know. And, uh, and they did a great job and they screwed everything together and, uh, and I, I was uh, three months later I was in the race car any
0: long term effects of no that, I,
1: that was uh, about three years ago I got uh, a letter from the hospital from the clinic and they said well Mr Berger would love to see you because you've been our first patient where we did this operation 20 or 25 years ago and we would like to see how you're going you know? and I went there and I said well everything is fine I think the neck is stronger than it was before because I had a couple of good accidents
0: after and I never had a problem. Well, I was going to say, so when you hit the wall in Tamburello... Yeah, yeah, it worked very well. The screws no worked. Problem. <laughs> but what were you thinking, actually? You've mentioned that shunt at Imola where I think it took 16 seconds for the marshals to get you. You were on fire. What were you thinking?
1: It's better to get out here because otherwise I'm in, in troubles. No, actually, I was unconscious at this moment. Okay. Uh, I, I remember everything until the impact. And I, I, remember, I remember going to Tamburello and the right front lift up the wheel. When I turned in, I said, shit, what's happened here? So I saw they have a puncture in the back. So I looked in the mirror and I didn't see it. Obviously, it was a broken front wing. And the car wasn't possible to steer anymore. And I had a very bad angle to the wall, very straight on. And I said, I'm full of fuel. I'm very fast. This is not going to work out well. Um, you had
0: time to think of all yeah of that. yeah
1: it's it, it's unbelievable how the body switch in this moment because everything like slow motion you know i when I was in the hospital i saw the runoff air must be quite long and to, to get all these ideas but when I saw it I was shocked that this, the runoff air is very shocked and I still the brain going so many swings through your brain and, and and short before the impact, they said, oh, well, God, it's better you put your hands away from the steering wheel. And that's what I still did, too. I put my hands on my shoulders and just wait for the Big Bang. And then I was unconscious. The next thing I, 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 I remember then, uh, uh, sit Professor Sid Rothkin, sitting on my, on my chest, trying to put the tube into to get some air into to, to me. Uh, but then I was fine and, and I had a lot of pain from... from from the fuel and from the burns but they put me in, in, in the car and um, obviously in the end of the day from the dimension of the accident I've been once more very lucky uh, not to have too many problems
0: and first thought was when can I get back or did you question first thought no,
1: first thought I had earlier when I was in the ambulance car I had a lot of pain and uh, I said never in my life I'm going to sit in one of these bloody cars then I had another moment because they put me on on the in the in the uh, in the emergency um, uh, they had to cut down my overalls and things like this and my whole body was in in fuel and that the fuel at this time was very aggressive together with fire i thought my whole body is burned so the nurses start to clean my hands what was burned and things but the biggest pain I had on my balls. And then, so that was my idea my, my thing, was how can I explain that? <laughs> to to leave my hands for a moment. <laughs> so well the money come I hope they don't take it wrong, but this is really where I have my So but end up everything fine. Took care about my balls, and uh, and in the end of the day, I, I
0: was a couple of days in the hospital, and I came back one race later. you did. You only, missed the, mon- two, only you missed the missed the Monaco, Monaco, Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and no long term effects again. No, I still have some calves in, in my hands and. Things like have it, you ever not. injured yourself outside of a racing car? I'm imagining yeah. that you're not a particularly Actually, slow no. skier. Are you Actually, a slow no. Actually, I had
1: a bad accident just two years ago on skiing. You know, I, I was my lifelong skiing, and uh, I even start, before walking, I start skiing. But two years ago, I, I, I skied close to my home, just slowly on the side. A bit like uh, like Michael, uh, you know, not not fast, nothing special, a bit on the side of the beast. And it was springtime already, very little snow, and there was a, a, a water pipe okay. coming out from, 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 from the ground. And it just... I, I, I just fall and I fall flat out on this water pipe, and I missed my head by ten centimeters, and I cut completely, or I smashed completely my complete upper arm, and uh, and it, this was really the most painful <laughs> I ever had, and uh, and it was still now I, I I I have no feeling in my arm because the the, the nerves was broken, and and uh, stupid thing after all the career, but it reminds me very
0: much on what's happened with Michael. It does, it does. And actually, can you tell me whether a story I'm about to relate is true, in that when you were kids, did, one of, did you lie in front of cars so that your friends on skis could then latch onto the back of the car and get dragged along? No, much better. Okay, I, I, tell I, me I, a story? I, I, I did
1: not <laughs> lie on the, on the street. I made somebody others lie on the street that the car had to stop. We was waiting on the side, because we in Austria in the winter, we have snow roads, you know, it's cold ice, and I was too lazy to walk home, and so we had... Is this the, from school or something like that? We had like the that. school, the backpack, and the car stopped because somebody... Else. And we jump up in the back, and we hang on the back of the car with the shoes, not with skis, just with the shoes, on the icy road. The guy went up in front, the car, the, the driver went into the car, and then they apologized, and and, and the car still driving, and me and my colleagues was hanging on the back of the car, and that's the way home, you know, the car was driving 60, 70, 80, whatever. The only... There was a couple of problems on it. One was when you catch the, the where the water goes the canal again, the, 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 the pipe weather, there usually was warm and the ice was melt. So if you catch this one, you, you have a good, you, you fly. And the other thing was, you know, when you catch, got the Volkswagen example here, fantastic, you can hang very, very well in the back, but... I remember there was the thought you had to put the fingers inside and when you fall, the gloves were hanging still and the fingers had to go out. You know, and The car was driving with gloves hanging on the back. So this we used to do
0: always in the winter and it was, it was good fun yeah. Good, happy days. You mentioned Ferrari. We have to talk about Ferrari as well, don't we? Six years, five wins. I think you're the only driver who drove for the team when Enzo was alive and after his death. How did the team change once he'd gone?
1: Well, I have to say, uh, first, yes, I was the last driver de- dealing
0: directly with Enzo Ferrari
1: and make my contract directly with Enzo Ferrari. Of course, was uh, Piccinini involved? Was Piero involved? But uh, I. Finally, signed with Enzo. And
0: you didn't have a manager, did you? So you, no, no, no. It you did it the negotiating, it the yeah. everything.
1: Yeah, and, and Enzo didn't speak English and I didn't speak Italian. So, How did it go? honestly, <laughs> in the end of the day, we, we, we found our way and, uh, and we made a deal. How did you find him to deal with in that sort It of was very interesting because I got a telephone call. I remember I was overtaking Stefan Johansson on the grass in Imola with the Peneton. And I think the day after, uh, Ferrari called me. Uh, Piccinini called me and said well uh, Mr. Ferrari would like to see you and you know now I, I, I my emotions you, 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 you can understand they've been on the maximum coming out of, of this uh, 14,000 uh, people village uh, as I told before A truck mechanic driving down to see Mr. Ferrari was already by itself a, a great thing to do so I drive down I had an Audi I remember old Audi drive down so we met outside of Maranello on a petrol station so they put me in in a car of Ferrari covered me in the back and straight went into Fiorano to the office of Mr. Ferrari sorry to interrupt they, they covered you covered me with yeah, a yeah. coat or something. yeah 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 with a, with a blanket <laughs> so it was a typical Ferrari you know made out a big show of everything but uh, so I went to the Mr. Ferrari's office and there was uh, Mr. Ferrari TAC office I remember um, Mr. Ferrari then Piero Ferrari his son and, and Marco and his first question was, do you have a manager? I said, no, I don't have a manager. I said, so it means if we agree, we could do a deal. I said, yes, if we agree, we can do a deal. And uh, obviously he made me an offer. I mean, if it would be the other way around, if I would have to pay what he offered me, I would <laughs> I would have said yes, made me a good offer. And, uh, and we talked a little bit. And, uh, and, and, and I went home with, uh, with my first... Three years Ferrari contract.
0: Two years plus an option for the third year. And was it very straightforward? straightforward. How, how long was that meeting to decide? Right. Did you sign in yeah. those two? Uh,
1: yeah, I think I, I they had They,
0: they had prepared already. Everything was just a question of putting the money in. That's fantastic. I guess you'd won your first race for Benetton the previous year. Do you think he saw in you a little bit of Gilles Villeneuve? It was why he got in contact after you were on the grass going past yeah, your hands? he Henson? had a little
1: bit of history with Austrians already, because Nicky, he learned already uh, that Austrians uh, can are uh, 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 survivors, let's say it this way. I had a very good relationship with him, also when I was driving with him, because I came in, I've been straight away quick with it at this time. Uh, coming back a little bit to your earlier question, uh, did you carry a change at one stage a little bit on the, on the way, how you take the risk? Yes, after my Imola accident, it changed Before my Imola accident, I, as more risk, as more fun I had. And obviously that's what fits perfect to the Ferrari uh, culture. And when I came into Ferrari, I think I've been straight away quick. I, I put straight away the, uh, the, uh, my teammate uh, Michele at the time under pressure. That's all what Ferrari likes to see, even if Michele is Italian, vice world champion, just just been the big boy of them. But uh, there's coming this crazy Austrian and, uh, and uh, going in the car and, 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 and put him under pressure. So everything f- worked very well and, and, and I had a very good uh, relationship with Ferrari until
0: the end. And then you won at Monza of all places
1: first, I won the two races where I think he was extremely happy because Ferrari had a period of long time not winning. And then I was doing a very good race in Estoril, and I spun in the last leading in the last lap because Alan put some pressure onto me, and I my rear tires gone, and I lost I lost three corners before the end, my back end, so I finished second. And I got a very nice letter from from Mister said, Don't worry, uh, even as much we would like to to win this race, but. Uh, you're gonna win the ne- one of the next ones, and that's what happened. I won Suzuka, I won uh, uh, Adelaide. Adelaide, and obviously that made me at the
0: time to be the new boy of Ferrari. That's fantastic because the the win I was gonna refer to was that one in '88, two weeks after he'd died. Uh, one, two, you ahead of your teammate Michele Alboreto. Yeah. I mean, I just remember the scenes on the telly. I was on the edge of my seat, cheering for you, because the passion of the Tifosi that weekend must have been so intense.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it started already before I was in the factory, and uh, the Ferrari guy says to me, I I think it was Marcos, saying, so, what are we going to do this weekend? And obviously, that was the year where McLaren won everything. We had no chance. The two McLaren was just on another planet. Was it just fuel consumption that was your problem or was the no, car no, no, no. the car was rubbish? No, as well? no, the car was the engine was stronger, the car was better, no 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 it was not fuel consumption. I mean the, the the problem at this time was I think it was the year with the Bobber Valve, first year with the Bopper Valve, and Honda got a way to overpressurize the pop the spring of the Bobber Valve so they they just run more power. On top of it I think it was a very good car. What McLaren built this year on top of it with Prost and Senna, you had two fantastic drivers in it. So they won all the races in this year, except this one. And I was in Ferrari, and then they say, what are, you, what are we going to do this weekend? I said, well, um, I think we're going to win the race. And they say, ah, oh, very funny. If you win the race, uh, and I say, okay, if I win the race, can I have the car? I was just saying in front of, of my car. Can I have my car? They said, of course, if you win the race, you, it's yours. I say, okay, good. So I go win the race, put the race straight away in the truck after bringing it to my home. Unfortunately, two days later, I sold it. Oh, you said they
0: did give it to you at least? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who bought your car? A friend of mine bought it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Gerhard, so look, that's your career. There's one other victory I want to just touch on, and that is your last one Uh, Hockenheim 1997. I was there, very emotional. Uh, you'd missed the previous three races just to give some background to the listeners you'd missed the previous three races you'd been ill your father had died in the weeks previous so you were mourning his loss and you came back win, pole, fastest lap was that your best victory? I
1: cannot say my best victory my best victory for me from a driving point was Adelaide 1987 that was the one where until last lap I had to fight with Ayrton for the win uh, hot conditions, street circuit, heavy lap on the limit. That was, for me personally, driving was my best win. But the last win was maybe my most important one in, 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 in different ways because it was the end of my career. I changed from Ferrari back to Penedon to, to with Flavio. Uh, I was at the end of my career. Uh, Michael brought Ross and everybody to, to. Everybody was on the way to Ferrari. So the team was collapsing a little bit. I, we didn't do a good job, me and Sean.
0: Uh, and, and what, so what do you mean, you didn't do a good huh? job?
1: Well, it was the end of my career. I was, was busy with complaining instead of getting the, 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 sorted out the problems. Uh, it just didn't fit together. It was. It was actually, it was over. My time was over. I was 66, 37 years. I was not in a good, healthy conditions. And
0: uh, were you unhappy during those Benetton years?
1: Yes, I was unhappy, but not, not necessarily to do with the team of Lavio. Yes, also I didn't fit very well. But also myself. It was just you know when you get to the end of a career, things are getting more difficult. You 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 start to be also different. You start to be moody. You start to be not so happy anymore and that's all came together and at the same time the team what was brilliant started collapsing a bit because Michael took out the people he needs from Ferrari so, and they still been in the in their mood where they won everything with Michael and it just didn't fit together it was nothing where I can say well that was the mistake of the team that was the mistake of the engine that was the mistake no it was a combination of everything but nevertheless uh, it was fine uh, I, I, I worked okay with the team, but then I had a big, big sinus problem what I carried already for a while with me and it gets worse and worse and I was all the time on antibiotics and uh, physically I got weaker and weaker and, and then I was coming to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore and I went for three races out or let's say I went to a hospital they had to do an operation and and they fixed my problem but I was for two races not in. In the meantime Flavio made already different plans he, he had already some new ideas how he could... Uh, handle everything so I had a, a very difficult bad circumstance with Flavio situation with Flavio so in the end he didn't want to have me back in the car I
0: didn't want to really go back in one way but the other way I would like to finish the chapter did he say as much Gerhard, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to stop don't feel any pressure from me
1: no, 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 no. Much worse. Uh, Flavio said, oh, "My God, you're just at the operation. Stay at home. Rest a bit more." And, and all these things. You know, before it was very critical with Sean, but when it came to the to the situation I was in, he switched from trying to be put Sean a little bit off, putting me off. And, uh, and uh, well, I had my. Uh, my operation, I was in the hospital, and, um, and he says, Gerd, but you cannot drive this weekend, you are not fit now, and you we need to see the doctor if you really can do it, and all, all this bullshit. So we had starting to get lawyers already in place, and he said, well, I have a contract, that's my contract, that's my thing, and whatever. And um, so finally everything went okay, and I, I should be back for the race, and unfortunately just when the race was going on, I think it was it Magnique or whatever, my father crashed on an airplane and, and, and died, so I couldn't do the race. And I think Flavio was happy again that I didn't do the race. And uh, then was coming Hockenheim, and, and same story again with Flavio. You know, with God, I I think you, you wait a bit more. You need a bit. More. I just couldn't understand what's going on. I I I just was disappointed. But anyway, I say I go to Hockenheim, and I came to Hockenheim. And everybody kind of Chinese smiled to me, the whole badok, basically. I said, okay, it's so nice to your back, but what are you doing here? You know, you're sick, you, are, you, are, you have a difficult time, your father died, and, you know, all the things. And I said, well, this cannot be my, my end of my career. My end of my career, I, I will show everybody what, what I can do. So I really said nothing. I made a press conference saying that I stopped after this year. So again, Flavio and the team was upset, Say, so why did you not discuss this before with us? We have to do together press cover and all this thing. Why didn't he? Because for me it was clear, I didn't like the way how everything was handled and I do my own stuff. So again, what I want to say, I went into the car in the worst circumstance you can be. Not fit, father died, team doesn't want you, everybody Chinese smile with you and say, okay, let's, let's see what you can do. And then to have pole position, win the race, quickest lap, that was really... And then everybody was my friend and Flavia said, okay, Gerhard, we're going to win the World Championship.
0: <laughs> well, you were always quick at Hockenheim, actually, weren't you? Yeah, yeah
1: Hockenheim, I fit, my driving style always fit quite well though. Hockenheim.
0: I mean, Gerhard, I don't know if you're a, a religious guy, but do you feel that you were sort of getting a bit of help from up your dad, Johan, upstairs? Well, or, or? Very
1: simple. Uh, if I'm in troubles, I'm a very religious guy. If I'm not in troubles, I forget about it. But to be honest there, yeah, yes, I was on the podium and I say, listen... There must be some, something, I mean, in the end of the day, there's a lot going on in your brain. And now we are on one of your first questions where Erdogan had his strengths, his, his concentration, his brain work was just brilliant. And here in Hockenheim, my brain just said, Gerhard, you show everybody now what is in you, what you can do, what you're able to do.
0: And that made my result. Do you feel your performance went to another level that weekend?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I, 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 I activated
0: everything I had in my body just to prove what I did. Now, Gerhard Solok, we're nearly at the end of this. It's wonderful to speak to you. But um, if you had your time again, would you do anything different?
1: You know, like everybody in life, sitting in a corner, saying, Can you believe if I would know everything what I know now? Was When I was driving, then I was running BMW Motorsport, now I'm running DTM, then I had Rosso. And I know all this. And I would be just 24, just jumping into
0: errors. How much success you would have. Would you but be a faster driver, knowing what you no, know? Fast now? Or no, faster,
1: no. No, faster, no. I, I, I don't think uh, you can be faster, but
0: you would avoid just all the mistakes. And there was a lot. OK, so with the experience you have now, you might negotiate the paddock better. But actually, you drove for the two best teams in Formula One at that time, Ferrari and McLaren. Uh, let's say this way, just
1: to give you a what very be simple different? example. It would be different already that I would start to do training every
0: day from the morning until the evening, you know, not to be tired after half a
1: resistance.
0: So, so you would have taken it a little bit more seriously uh, that yeah, side.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Is it true that you are the man who was responsible for bringing Red Bull into Formula One?
1: I guess in some ways, yes, because uh, I've been the first sportsman of Red Bull before the company even started. I was driving for Eros in 1985 in Austria, and Zeltwick, and there was this man in front of me and said, hello, I want to introduce you myself. My name is Mr. Matyshitz, and I would like to sponsor you. And I said, well, fantastic, this is just like Christmas because I was bankrupt, and here was my sponsor. And he says, just, uh, there's one problem. I say, what's the problem? I don't have the money yet. I'm going gonna, gonna to build a company, I'm going to start a company, and I'm very convinced that it's going to be good. And I had a smile, and I said, well, I hear this story already very often before. But in some ways, I like the guy, and he like me, and we had a good chemistry. So we went to drink a beer. And uh, we sit together, and we did a deal. I think the deal was at the time maybe $10,000 or something like this. Nothing. And to put his company onto the helmet because the name didn't even exist
0: at this time. What did he say it was well, going to be he called? Well, he's going to
1: build a company and he's going to give me $10,000 if I put the company on, uh, on my helmet. But and didn't I, know it
0: was called Red Bull at the time? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, maybe he knows, but I didn't
1: know. So then we were sitting there drinking something and we, we, we made a handshake deal. Two months later... Or three months later, I got a telephone call and say, "Ah, Mr. Berger, you remember me? I'm Mr. Matijic. I say, "Yes, yes, I remember. You remember we had this deal? Is it still on?" And I say, "Yes, of course. We made it. We, we made it." I say, "Because I just, I just started my company. So that was the start of a working relation. And uh, that was when I started with uh, with Repul. And then I went with Repul into." into a Benedon Ferrari and I always carried with me and I always was sponsored by them. And I remember I was going to the podium with the Red Bull uh, 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 drink and Bernie went completely bananas because he said, nobody goes up with a print there and, uh, and they stopped me to do this and it uh, was already the first casino Red Bull made with me. <laughs> and that was a, a relationship that started there and growing. And then, obviously, they did their, their things. I don't know if finally it was, was me brought them in, but uh,
0: I, I'm sure I was a part of it. And why was he interested in you? Was it because he believed in you as a sportsman or because you were Austrian? Or? No,
1: I think he was, first, he was a motorsport uh, fan. I think he was very much a Jochen Ring fan. I think uh, he liked my way. And, 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 and he just decided to use motorsport as one of his platforms, and... At this time, nobody could ever uh, imagine what, what this company one day going to be. Even him, probably.
0: Even him, but uh, he was very convinced <laughs> that he going to make his way. Okay, so you were a sportsman, one of his sportsmen, but then you also became a 50% shareholder in Toro Rosso. Why did you do that?
1: Well, I mean, I stopped active racing, and Didi says, why we don't do something more together? And uh, there, he just bought Minardi at the time, and we decided we, we do this together. And, um, you know, we are very good friends. We just sit together and if we have an idea and it fits for both of us, we
0: do it. And did you enjoy your time running a running a Formula 1 team? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very nice together with France. who is still there. We had a very good time and we won the first race, what was a great success at the time. We, actually, we had a very good season too, thanks Red Bull, because Adrian and everybody, we, we, we could advantage a lot of their uh, the technical support, but in the end of the day, we made the the success happen with uh, Sebastian in the car. We won the first race in
0: in Monza, if you remember, and we just uh, had a, a very good time. I remember there was a good party after that one. But Vettel's an interesting one because I felt at the time that you were a father figure to him in a racing context. How has he developed over the subsequent 10 years? Is the Vettel we see today what you would have expected, knowing what you knew back then? Absolutely.
1: Vettel, when he came to us, he was, uh, I don't know, was he 24 years or 20, no, uh, 18 years, 19 years, whatever. And he was, his brain worked like a 30 years, you know. And I experienced the two guys before, uh, Antonio Luzzi and, and Scott Speed. You know, when I talked with them, they look to you, especially Scott Speed, look to you, uh, what you're talking. Uh, You know, they they, they didn't have a clue what experience, what 210 Grand Prix brings with you and and which experience you can transfer to them. Fettel was completely different. He sucks out everything of you. He filtered it. The good things he took and the bad things he put on the side. And he just put it race by race into, into, into the ground. So the guy was was just very grown up when he arrived with us. And you could see
0: his package is right. He's going to be a successful driver. Is he more emotional now than you were expecting? I feel at Ferrari, he's become... There are some emotions that we didn't see in the Red Bull days. The incident with Lewis Hamilton in Baku last year. Yeah, the but start in Singapore, maybe? No, he, he's been always emotional. He's he,
1: been he been always emotional in the way, in the German way, in the way of Sebastian. Uh, not in a lazy way, you know. In the, but uh, what he always had, when he smelled, when he got the possibilities to get success, he took it. He found a way to, to, to pick it up. When he was not successful, his body language, his face, everything you can read, is unhappy, he's emotional, he's, he,
0: he, 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 he's just moody. So, which of the current drivers on the grid is most like you? Is it Vettel? Uh, no, you cannot do comparison. No, no, no. Not, not just battle. as a Definitely driver, but battle. as a personality as well. I mean, does Daniel Ricciardo... He, I look at him enjoying his time in I football. I
1: uh, Daniel is, is super. Very, very nice.
0: Good guy. Quite like you? You cannot repeat me. <laughs> you are unique. I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Burger Grand Prix you're starting you're going to do another Formula 1 team which of the current grid two drivers on the current grid would race for you now money no object two drivers. so definitely Lewis is set why he's my favourite at the moment why ah, he's quick like hell is he as quick as he's yeah, always yeah, been yeah he's quick Gosh. has Bottas so got talented. quicker has huh? Bottas got quicker this year yeah yeah but uh, step, uh, or sometimes Lewis, but,
1: uh, Lewis Lewis knows the games in and out he's very experienced now and he's super quick qualifying race no he's my number one okay and uh, and
0: then maybe I would to have some fun I would put Verstappen next to him now he's an interesting case study isn't he so much talent but what do you think yeah, doing a bit Where's too many might-
1: mistakes at the moment but give him the time I, I think he's very talented he will be there the end of the day, the guy is outstanding. I watch him since karting, Formula Three. Uh, very, very competitive guy with a lot, a lot of killing instinct. So you have Luis and, uh, and Max. That's a team. Uh, that could be. That's a team. Thing. But I have to say, I love uh, Daniel. He's extremely quick. He's good. Fettel is good, but Daniel is a is a very interesting guy. Sunshine. It's it's always quick. It's a bit sometimes a bit underestimated but uh, I remember when he was driving with Sebastian he,
0: yeah. he basically uh, beat Sebastian in the year okay well Gerhard it's been wonderful to speak to you thank you so much for your time and thank so you many too. great stories and you look like you're a man who's still enjoying his life
1: yeah, yeah I'm enjoying and, uh, and life is too short to be miserable so let's have fun and let's enjoy
0: It's hard not to love Gerhard, isn't it? There's no rewriting of history and it's great to hear him speaking with the perspective of time. I don't know about you, but I can't get the image out of my head of him being bundled into the back of a car, face covered, en route to meet the great Enzo Ferrari for the first time. But that's it for now. We'll be back soon with another big name from the world of F1. And to ensure you don't miss out, please subscribe to Beyond the Grid. And you know the drill. Rate, review, and we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a line using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. And you cyberstalkers can reach me too at f one Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time keep it flat out.